because it's never happened. Have you noticed that? Uh, this has come up so many times. Let's review actual code. It comes up on these Twitter wars. Like It will never fit in a snippet, Jeffrey. These are serious enterprise applications. And to really understand the benefits, you need to be really deep into this million line <laughs> code base to distill it down to a snippet would just be insulting. Yeah, and plus we don't we don't know how our active record stuff will hold up in 15 years either. Welcome back to another episode of the Laravel Podcast. We've got a guest with us this week, and we've got a special topic. We're keeping the drama up and running, and we're going to be talking about Active Record versus Data Mapper and why Eloquent rules the world. But first, let's get everybody to introduce yourselves. Uh, guys, can you introduce yourselves? Taylor? Sure. I'm Taylor Otwell, creator of Laravel, creator of Eloquent, lover of Active Record, <laughs> lover of DHH. What would DHH do for life? All right, Jeffrey? I'm Jeffrey Way. The, the, just creator of, of of something I don't know. <laughs> sorry adam <laughs> uh, i'm adam wathen i work with uh, man at titan co also the host of the full stack radio podcast and also a devout active record lover um okay cool so here's what we're talking about this week we're talking about different patterns for orms database orms to interact with the database. And so the two most common ones in our world are active record and data mapper. There is actually an active rep record library, I guess, in Rails. We're not talking about that, but the active record library in Rails is mapped after, pattern after the active record pattern, which is a particular way of an ORM being shaped. And then data mapper is kind of its primary opponent. And there's often these conversations where people say, well, active record is terrible. Um, you should be using data mapper. In the PHP world, that ends up being, you know, uh, you should use doctrine. And so we wanted to have a conversation here talking about, well, what's actually going on? What are some of the primary criticisms people use to kind of dog on active record and, and to talk about them? But first of all, let's actually talk about um, what, what is what is in our conversation. It's going to be Active Record versus Data Mapper. Although, just for frame of reference, we're really going to be talking about kind of eloquent versus doctrine. Since this is the Laravel podcast in the PHP space, those are the two kind of concrete instances we'll be talking about here. But the the high level concept is Active Record versus Data Mapper. So, who who fills up for an introduction there? I could do it. So, just as like a definition of what the two patterns are. So, in Active Record your domain models are meant to map one-to-one -one with tables and rows in your database. And each instance has knowledge of how to persist itself back to the database. So using the same class, you'll fetch instances of that class from the database, make some changes to it, and then call a method like save on those instances, which would then update that record in the database. Uh, the idea with a data mapper ORM is that you're separating uh, persistence concerns from any of your kind of domain business logic concerns by having a layer that fetches stuff from the database uh, and, you know, essentially gets like this data back from the table as, you know, a plain array, say, and then maps those fields to fields in your domain models and then gives you back domain models that have no knowledge of the persistence layer. And then when you want to save those models again, you pass them back to this persistence layer and it maps those entities back into your tables. So that's kind of the main difference. In, in one, your domain models, you can just call methods on them to save them and update them in the database and fetch them back. And in the other scenario, the data mapper scenario, your data models are completely separate from the database layer and you pass them back into that persistence layer to save them when you need them and fetch them from that layer. Uh, so in 
kind of a perfect world that is how these patterns are meant to work. Right, and we'll get into specific uh, criticism, specific contests, but the, one of the highest level kind of conversation comes around um, when you've got these eloquent, or sorry, these active ref- record objects, um, they both are re- responsible for kind of getting their own data uh, through static methods off- often, you know, pulling a- an instance out of the-, the database. And then that same object is also responsible for representing the, in- the specific instance that you pulled out. And it's also capable of saving itself or deleting itself. And so a lot of the conversations, we'll talk about this in a second, say, well, it's doing too many things. And versus data re- mapper kind of has a reputation of being more pure, right? You know, the thing that's supposed to get things only get things. The things that's supposed to represent a thing only represents things. The things that's supposed to delete things only delete things. And so that the high-level kind of conversation tends to be around, well, active record might be okay for a little piddly side apps, you know, a little pat on the head, junior developer. But if you have a grown-up app, then you're going to deal with data mapper. And, and, and especially folks who tend to be in kind of more startup-y and rad kind of spaces tend to like active record more. And people who tend to be in more academic or enterprise-y or whatever else type spaces tend to prefer data mapper more. And this is not absolute truth at all, but those are these are some high-level kind of like assumptions that are kind of passed around pretty commonly. So what we want to do here is we want to talk about some of the main places people are, have criticisms of active record and kind of say what we, you know, as a crew kind of think about this. Like, what? how do we feel about this? So the first one, the one that comes up most commonly is saying an object that represents an instance. So let's say our object is, you know, blog post. Let's be, you know, stereotypical. Um, and the blog post is both a blog post. It has a title and a description, whatever, but also has a save method that is allowed to choose how it's saving itself to the database. So the criticism here, and you guys can add on to this if there's more, criticism is this one object should not be able to get itself out of the database, represent itself, save itself, delete itself, whatever else. This is a separation of concerns issue. You're mixing your concerns, et cetera, et cetera. So Respond. How do we feel about that? Is that is a valid concern, or what's what's going on there? Uh, I, I think I think personally, the the best reply to things like that is always almost like the four year old reply, where you say why, uh, and what you find is almost always it breaks down to some assumption that may or may not be right. So when somebody says, okay, if you're using active record, sure, you can add all of your methods within the class, and that's great, but tucked away behind the scenes is potentially dozens of methods that do all kinds of things related to um, interacting with your database. So you can say, well, why is that bad? Well, because single responsibility. And then you can say, well, okay, well, why does that matter? Why why does the fact that this model knows how to save itself mean it's bad? Like, is it bad if it makes the system easier to work with? And um, usually people never get that far. They just immediately stop at SRP, and then um, they award themselves the win. Yeah, the SRP thing turns into a really circular argument really fast a lot of times, where it's just SRP because SRP because SRP, all the way down to turtles, basically. Instead of like actually looking at real code and like, what does it look like in reality to use active record versus data mapper and how does it actually affect your application in terms of testability and stuff like that? We never really seem to get that far. It's just sort of these biblical arguments of SRP and other things that they heard on a uh, Uncle Bob podcast or from some book or whatever. And we sort of repeat that over and over and over. Yeah, I think uh, one of the most interesting parts of the discussion is, you know, people will say an object shouldn't be able to save itself. And I think it's kind of like a fundamentally flawed argument because I don't think that an object having a method necessarily means that, you know, it's something it's doing to itself. Like people will make this 
this like literal translation and describe the metaphor as like, well, you know, if I have a blog post, it's just a blog post. It doesn't know how to save itself to the database in real life. Um, the reality is like no objects in our system know how to do anything They're If you're modeling the real world or whatever, everything's an inanimate object that can't do anything. You know what I mean? Like, right. Yeah. The user right? would do so you every have, like, single this, action. A user class that has, you know, every method on it. And this is like not related to the active record stuff specifically, but just this idea that, you know, you can't give behavior to objects because those objects don't have that behavior in real life. I don't think that's the way that we should be looking at uh, modeling things in our system. No one would ever complain that an array shouldn't know how to map itself or a string shouldn't know how to uppercase itself. Those are just things that you can do to those objects and it makes sense for the behavior um, to live there. Now, in the case of active records specifically, uh, we have these records that in the system that you you might be building do map cleanly to you know a relational database system and you need to be able to save this record well to me the natural thing to do as a first stab is to be able to say can i just call dot save on this and can i design this system in such a way that you know that's going to work out to be a maintainable solution like my first go-to solution to any time I need to like do something with an object is to try putting it on that object. If it's not going to work out that way, or if it ends up being ugly or, or not maintainable in some way, like if I, you know, if I can come up with a solution that feels simpler because I noticed some problems with that, then yeah, maybe I'll extract something else that like acts on those objects. But from like a purely object oriented way of thinking, I don't think the go-to should be to always be creating these extra objects designed to work with existing objects as if they're just data, because that's, separating data and behavior which is not the oo thing to do yeah and when you talk when you see like kind of domain driven design um, enthusiasts talk about code they always talk about it in a very active recordy way like they'll have the the classic invoice object in it you know uh usually has like a pay method and you know that pay method has got to have like seven or eight dependencies like it's calling some credit card billing it's doing a whole bunch of other crap but when they write code like on a whiteboard they write it like active record objects look basically but for some reason like when you bring it to like the database level they're like hell no we we can't design objects that way the the conversation we're having goes beyond and outside of uh just database related stuff so we've had these conversations frequently about you know well what does naming look like in just good object oriented design in general and should you know one of them was should a receipt be able to send itself or whatever else it ended up being so i think uh it's helpful to kind of say some of these conversations just aren't about this it's just about well what are what is good object oriented design in general i think that that idea that there's certain things that are parroted back frequently uh things shouldn't be able to save itself or whatever or a single responsibility principle if there's just like a certain phrase that you hear back every single time, it might be a sign that maybe you're not actually thinking through what you're saying. And hopefully that's true for anybody on either side. So hopefully one of the things that comes out of this is the ability to look at something where someone just is like, well, oh, this over and over, that four-year-old argument. Well, let's do the four-year-old argument on the other side of the whys. You know, why are you saying that? What does that actually mean? And that's a good thing for good conversation in general, not just this one. Yeah, and so often what this ends up being is people are just, I've said this a lot, people just recite what they read in a book six months ago. And you know what? That's fine. That's how we all are. We're all kind of continuously learning and trying to document what we've learned. So sometimes it comes across as if the person has really thought this through, but in reality, they're still trying to figure it out in their head. So what happens is they they read a book about like hexagonal architecture and they, they learn that the database should totally be on the outside and it shouldn't be core to your domain. Well, if that's the case, then you can't 
can't be having your, your entities calling a safe method because that violates that entire approach. And you just learned about hexagonal architecture and you're really into it. So you have to find a way to make all of that work. So as a result, you, you go around telling people that um, a post can't save itself. And it really doesn't go any deeper than that. I think, um, you know, just to be clear, I don't think that saying you know, an object should have a save method and saying that's somehow like, you know, more object oriented or, you know, that's the right design. I'm not trying to say in any way that that's like a black or white thing, but I think it's important to rethink like what your understanding of methods on an object necessarily are, you know what I mean? And kind of remove this idea of this shouldn't be able to do this to itself from your vocabulary. Cause I don't think that's the right way to think about uh, methods on objects. Um, the other thing that I think comes up that might be interesting to talk about when it comes to this is um, the whole separation of concerns thing. The other argument for that is not just about whether things should be able to save themselves, but it's about now you have all this code living in this class that's related to database details and all this other code in this class that's just related to you know business logic in your application. In the case of most active record implementations, you kind of get that code from some sort of base class that you're extending from. And a lot of people would say, you know, you have to consider everything that's in that class as being part of your class. And, you know, if the eloquent base class, which is, you know, quite a serious piece of work, it's like a 3000 line class or something, right? If that's 3000 lines, you have to think about your classes as being 3000 lines plus whatever stuff that you're adding to them. I'd be interested to know what you guys think about that idea in general. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's like, um, when we talk about SRP, like, what are we actually what is the goal of SRP? Like, is it, um, is, do we want our code to be more testable? Like, do you think that's what they're getting at? Is it the testing concern or is it, is it just the raw, like the idea in your head bothers you that your class is that long without any connection to like reality? It, but to me, it seems like they're more getting at testing. Do you think? Yeah. Like it, it feels like it's like an intrinsic, like reaction to it. You know what I mean? And I think, I think kind of what you're saying is, it's important to really like follow that feeling down to its core and try and identify what the cause of it is. Yeah, like dive into your fears, <laughs> like on the, you know, like you're on the therapy couch. But what, yeah, I'd be curious. But I mean, to me, I think a lot of it is kind of the testing thing or they feel like it's not going to be as testable. So, you know, it doesn't really bother me or I don't give a lot of thought to my class having a big base class because I know that it's not really affecting my code in any real practical way that I've ever run into. I mean, I've built, um, I guess I built three, you know, production money-making apps on Laravel, quote, real apps. And like the active record concern has never been like a limiting factor in any of those apps. Like I've never had a situation where I was like, oh man, if only I was not using active record in these apps, I could do X things so much easier. It's always some other like businessy concern, you know, like, um, uh, it's not even really tech related at all usually. So I don't really worry about it because the, the testing to me, which we can talk about a little bit more is still the same, whether I use doctorate or data mapper, which to me, the goal of kind of single responsibility is to have these small classes that you can are easy to reason about and test. But I don't know. I've just never had a problem with testing with active record. It's the exact same, especially if you're using like a repository with active record. But then if you're, um, if you're using integration testing, of course, it's literally 100% the same. But they're not. See, like, that's the thing is I think people on the other side would say if you need to integration test or basically like if you need to touch the database in order to ensure that this thing works, then you're doing it wrong. And that's why you end up with articles like um, whatever the big one is. Integration testing is a scam or, yeah. or whatever. I mean, you're going to have so, to hit the database, though, unless you're literally testing your raw doctrine query language input into doctrine. I, I would love to know what like 
doctrine, of, of course, is very popular in the symphony world. So I would love to know how they go about testing the stuff, because I never hear about touching a database on that end. Uh, we're fine with it at this point, but I genuinely never hear about it. I almost hear more that it's an anti-pattern to touch a database, which yeah. is absurd. I think. Um, the, go ahead, the, Adam. The thing is, in my opinion, the stuff that you actually have to hit the database to test with Active Record, you also have to hit the database to test with Doctrine, right? And most people that I've talked to that have a lot of experience with Doctrine, you know, have agreed with me on this, that if you have like some custom query, for example, like say something that needs to fetch the most popular posts from the database or something, right? The only way to test that and know that you're actually getting what you consider to be the most popular posts back is to put some posts in the database and fetch them out and make sure that the ones that come back are the ones that meet your criteria for being considered most popular. Because otherwise, there's no way to guarantee that, you know, the query that you wrote actually gives you the results that you you logically need. You can test that the query you wrote is the same one that, you know, is being sent to the database or whatever, but that doesn't really test anything. I think the the situation where it starts to get a little bit different is when people are talking about testing like business logic on your entities. And now with Doctrine, um, you don't have to save stuff to the database to test the behavior of the methods that these objects have. I find that's the same situation with Active Record, though. If I have a method on an Active Record object that just depends on some uh, data in that thing, like, I mean, very simplistic example, say that you create some method that given a, a record that has a first name and last name, you can stuff it together into a full name or something, right? You don't have to save an active record model to the database to test that logic, just like you don't with Doctrine. Uh, it gets a little bit more interesting when you start talking about uh, behaviors that depend on relationships. So say you have like uh, a sales order or something that's made up of like order items and you want to be able to calculate like the total cost of this order. Um, in Active Record, that order is a database record, right? Like there's some orders table somewhere and there's an Active Record object for order. And there's probably a bunch of Active Record objects for order items. And you set that up with some sort of has many relationship. And now if you want to test that in Active Record, what most people are going to do is they're going to save some order items to the database uh, and save an order to the database and make sure that the foreign keys are set up. And then you're going to test this total price method on the order, which is going to execute that relationship query and fetch those out of the database and then sum up you know, the, the price of all the order items. And that's going to give you the total cost of the order. Now, with an active record implementation, that's going to have to hit the database. Um, with a doctrine approach, since all these things are just like in-memory PHP objects, you can just create order items, pass those into the order, and it's just like a regular collection, and you can execute that method and write that test the same way. But that's, I don't know if that's entire. I don't know if that's even entirely true, though, because with like with Eloquent, I could say order object set relation items and give it a collection of items that I collect. I that's what I was going to say. And that's and that's what I usually do. Like if it's actually a problem that you're going to hit the stuff in the database, there's ways around it. It's it's I feel like you have to kind of like go out of your way a little bit more with Active Record to kind of set that up. It's like not the natural way to do it. Uh, the more natural way to do it would be to just be able to get it from the database, right? And not have to call these kind of like methods that kind of exist on the side. But that doesn't mean it's impossible and it's a trade-off, right? You're, you're, to me, I'm willing to make that trade-off of having to do like a slightly bit more work in my tests to be able to test that behavior without hitting the database for the productivity boost that I get, you know? I mean, the the one place where I've I've heard someone kind of made a conversation about the difficulty of testing um, has been, it was much simpler and it was just the idea of 
uh, well, what does it look like for you to pull, um, not even worry about the database, to basically create a fake instance of you know one of your mod, uh, objects and then pass it through the business logic? And I was like, well, you just you know hit new thing and you pass it an array and it doesn't get saved to the database and you're done. And so I think there's at least a little bit of just fear, uncertainty, you know, doubt kind of thing of like, oh well, I'm sure you can't do that because it's so directly. Well, no, actually, it's totally fine. I think one thing that would help for people who may have very legitimate concerns is just kind of seeing what it looks like to see a code base that is well tested on act, active record because it's very possible and very common um i'm trying to think of any open source projects that any of us run that have it i mean i know most of mine uh adam have you you wrote some tests for i think just log and symposium so you most had your of those hands probably in both hit of those. the database honestly because um to me like putting in the little bit of extra work to avoid hitting the database is like a performance optimization that I'm going to make if I my test suite starts getting slow and, and bothering me. You know what I mean? Um, until then, I'm happy to just uh, do the easiest thing. And it's never really been that big of a problem for me. Um, yeah, I think just in summary, I've never really found a situation. I haven't found many situations where like I could test something with Doctrine without hitting the database that I couldn't test with Active Record without hitting the database. I find it's basically... The situations are the same. The setup is slightly different, but because, you know, the logic is still in your code, it's not in the database. There's no, you don't, you're not forced to do it. The, the setup is just slightly different, you know? All right. So our next criticism of active record that we're going to cover, we, we've handled objects saving itself and harder to test. The next one is the one-to-one -one map assumption, which is kind of suggesting that with active record, um, every single of your entities, one of your entities is, is assumed to be a one-to-one -one map between entity and database record. Uh, whereas in theory, I guess, with data mapper, it's suggested that doesn't need to be the case. So what do we think about that one? That's pretty fair, isn't it? Like, I, I would say this is probably the most, the most valid concern. So, like, with Active Record, assuming you have full control over your database, which I do in Taylor's projects, he does, he controls all of that. And in those cases, I think Active Record makes perfect sense. But you can imagine, like, with some higher level, like, truly higher level stuff if you're dealing with like car insurance or life insurance where it's incredibly complex and you're dealing with a database that you may not necessarily own or lots of people own or lots of people contribute to there is a situation there right where you might want to isolate yourself a bit from that because you don't have full control over it um the problem is I think a lot of people treat that as the norm. So like I've heard so many people say the biggest benefit to, to using the data mapper pattern is you don't have to think about your database as the first step. Which my response is always like, well, so? Like, who cares? But it is true if you have a very complex thing where you don't have control over the database, that makes sense. But I would say the majority of applications are not that. The majority of applications are these kind of greenfield projects where you control every. I, I would say uh, the other argument is that even if you do have control of everything, um, by being able to separate that, it lets you make different decisions about the database than you would about your domain model you know what i mean like you can kind of optimize them independently so maybe like the best way to store this data for you know whatever reason isn't the best way to represent it in memory so you have the ability to to make those different decisions where i think it gets interesting though is like yes with like a general data mapper approach like by the data mapper definition it's possible to set things up that way if you look at actual data mapper orms though they don't really do anything any different than an active record implementation would like doctrine doesn't let you set up your database in some way that's like completely independent from the way that your entities are set up in your system and 
And that's not really like any bash of doctrine, like they made like some incorrect design decision or something. But like, if that's the benefit that you're trying to get from using like a data mapper approach, I don't think there's any library that's going to be able to somehow generalize that for you. Like that's going to be a very specific to your situation. And you're going to have to write some code to map that data from that, you know, data store into the objects that you need in your system. And it's going to be really hard to somehow generalize every single use case in the world into some like reusable abstract uh, library. I just don't think that the there's going to be enough gains there that anyone would be willing to do it. Like it's easier to just write some queries, get some arrays back and map that into the objects you need. Like it's not a lot of code to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's an, there's an important and necessary break to make there of the assumption that uh, the only things that you can do are, you know, you're making these decisions on whether or not your ORM are capable of doing. And what we're saying is, well, yeah, that, that is a valuable thing at times when you're, you get to a certain level of complexity. But at that point, at least looking at the options available to you, they don't actually assist you at that level of complexity. So regardless of what you're using, at that point, you may end up being doing everything manually anyway. So it's kind of like, okay, yeah, that is valuable. You may hit that point. Choosing a data mapper ORM of the ones exist, existing right now for your simple app or for the first stages of your app doesn't actually help you down the road when you hit that point in any way. Is that is that kind of safe thing to say? In my experience using Doctrine, people have said like you know the 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 I, the benefit is that I just have to work with objects in memory and I don't have to think about the persistence layer. My experience is that that's not true, and that. Um, the abstraction leaks like just as bad as active record and, and almost in like more confusing ways because of the fact that you're not expecting it to really leak. So a perfect example would be I was uh, working on uh, an application and this was my first time trying to use doctrine as like on a greenfield project. I've used doctrine on existing projects before where kind of the plumbing had already been set up and I didn't really have to poke around with too many details of how things were were working. But the first time I was trying to set it up on a greenfield project just to kind of like give it a chance and make sure that you know, I had a good understanding of what the pros and cons were of all these things. So imagine you had like posts and comments, right? The typical situation that we talk about for every example ever in every programming discussion that's ever happened on the internet. You would think that given a post, which is holding on to like a collection of comments in memory, because this is the way that like a data mapper implementation works, right? So with an active record, if I wanted to add a comment to a post, I might add a method to a post called like add comment that takes a comment, sets the foreign key and saves the comment right away, right? That's kind of how I would approach it usually. But the only way that like a post and a comment are going to be actually related in active record is once that foreign key is set and they're both in the database because the database is sort of like your source of truth, you know? Um, With the the data mapper doctrine implementation, I was expecting to be able to like add my comment to the post, just stick it in that array of comments that the post is holding onto. And then when I pass the post back to the, you know, entity manager or whatever it was called to kind of like persist everything that it would kind of analyze that and do all the work necessary to save that comment based on the fact that, you know, it's in this collection of posts on or collection of comments on the post. Um, I ran into a situation where I was trying to do this and none of my comments were getting saved with the foreign key. And I was like, well, what's going on here? You know, I wrote this add comment method that said like, you know, this comments square bracket, square bracket equals comment, just stuffing that comment into that collection. Uh, but the foreign key wasn't getting set. And after talking to some people with more experience, I found out, oh, no, 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 no. You have to set the foreign key on the comment once it gets passed into the post add comment method. And I'm like, what? Like I thought the whole benefit is that of this was that I didn't have to think about those details anymore. And that as long as I had set up that mapping that like the entity manager would take care of that for me. But, 
to still connect a comment to a post in doctrine, I still have to explicitly set the foreign keys, whether that's through like some convenience help or for saying like, I think what you end up having to do is like comment post equals this. And then this comments square bracket, square bracket equals comment. Um, but if you don't have that first line in there, that comment foreign key doesn't get set. So it's still leaking implementation details just as much as active record is. Um, so I don't really know like what, what the big ad- advantage is, you know? Yeah. I think, um, one of the things we mentioned before we went into this one is there's, there's two different things to talk about. And one of them is a uh, data mapper and one of them is doctrine and, and, uh, there are other data mapper ORMs, but they're not common and there's, you know, there are other, uh, active record implementations, but I have yet to see one where I'm saying, oh, well, there's such a big difference between eloquent and active record where it's like a, an important distinction. Do we think that so when we're talking about like, well, yes, that would be a really great idea for data mappers in general, but doctrine doesn't do that. Um, are these because, you know, someone's going to one day come along and create the perfect ORM and doctrine's flawed? Is this because it's impossible to have an ORM that really just gives you the level of flexibility that DM promises? Or is it hard to answer that question? To me, the the more interesting discussion isn't really like active record versus data mapper, because if you're creating an ORM, it's going to have to have these details in it about mapping the stuff to the database. And you're going to have to do some work there to make it work. At least in my experience, like I wasn't expecting to have to do as much with doctrine as I did, but having to do that, you know, I understand why you would have to do that because it seemed like it would have been a pretty impressive feat to me for them to be able to handle all that stuff and me not to have to worry about it. But in reality, um, you still have to do some of that work. So to me, the more interesting discussion is not really about like active record versus data mapper. It's more about like ORM versus like building out a data mapping layer that maps your data for you specific the way your application needs to work. Um, and I don't think, you know, like I said before, that any kind of multi-purpose generalized library is going to be able to do that for you in a way that saves you a ton of time or effort. You know, I feel like it's probably is just going to make things more complicated. Yeah, I often feel like uh, in a lot of more complex areas, libraries do a really good job of making simple things um, or not simple things, but making kind of very common and normalizable things easier and simpler and more normalized. Um, but libraries that try to handle every particular level of complexity and one one things is often like you'll see like a jQuery plugin that does one thing. But then over time, people will say, well, I need it in this one edge case and this one weird thing. Oh, I want it to do it sideways versus upside down and it has to handle this and that and the other. And so they're like, well, eventually, you know, they have to add a configuration option for every single one. And it, what used to become, you know, be like a 600 line thing that just makes your life a little bit more convenient turns into, you know, 15,000 lines of code with 35 different options that you can pass to it. And I see this happen all the time because the intentions are to handle it, but the, your ability to say no to things or or just realize what is not fitting within the scope of, you know, this normalized, you know, abstracted thing, you know, there's just a point at which it's just better to write your own code. What's funny is, like, you keep adding more configuration to make people happy, so then it becomes so complex to work with that some other dude creates basically a duplicate of your project minus the configuration, and people start using that because it's so much easier yeah, to use like, again. Yeah, there's, like, some threshold where, like, once you get past a certain amount of configuration that you have to add, it's simpler to have just written the code that does exactly what you want without any of those other options and just kind of, you know, manage that yourself. And I, I feel like the data mapper thing is, like, always past that threshold. That's the feeling that i have anyways that like i don't know that it can be done well and handle everyone's situation and i feel like most people if you want to take that approach of being able to completely 
separate that stuff are better off, you know, writing the code that they need to write for their situation to be able to do it. Because if you're in a situation where doctrine is useful, in my opinion, your situation is very similar to this situation where active record is useful, where every domain model maps to a table, whether or not some of those fields maybe like could be represented as value objects in your system, you know, like doctrine makes it possible to do that by adding annotations to things and saying, you know, this email field should come back as an email object, not as a string. Well, you can do that stuff with active record too, using like your uh, mutators and accessors, right? It's a little bit different approach, but it's, it's the same idea. You have control of what that data is represented as when someone else tries to access it from that model. But, you know, fundamentally it's still like one entity maps to one row in a database table. It's just where the save method lives that ends up being different. And I don't know that I would get enough benefit from moving that somewhere else and still using a library that tries to generalize things for me. Um, that it would end up being a better approach than just using active record and just calling save on my models when I need to call save. That moving the save method um, inside is really, is really cool too, because I mean, if you do remove the save method from eloquent, for example, eloquent models, actually, I know we've said they know how to retrieve themselves, but they really don't know how to retrieve themselves under the hood. If you look under the hood, like if you call, um, if you call like where on an eloquent model, that that doesn't that's just a convenience method to access this separate eloquent query builder repository thing. That's not really a model at all in any sense. It's just a convenience way to access this query mechanism, which you could totally new up yourself. You could say new illuminate database eloquent builder and pass in the model that you want to start querying on. And you would have the exact same functionality where you could say where and order by and limit and all that. So since eloquent models don't actually retrieve themselves, they sort of just give you a little convenience layer to access that builder for a given model. To me, the only real difference is literally where do you want your save method to be on the model or on the repository. But if you don't like, if you don't want to call save method on your model, I remember like kind of joking around with someone that had a problem with calling save on their model. I said, okay, just override save and throw an exception that says, please call save on your repository, write a little repository, just like you would in doctrine and pass the model into save. I mean, I would never, ever do that, but I'm just saying you could do that if you wanted to and have exactly the same setup as doctrine. I've actually seen people use like debug backtrace to figure out like, is save being called from outside of the model? And if it is, throw an exception and only, only let save work if it's being called from a class whose no. suffix is repository. You know what I mean? But, but you know what? This is what happens, though. People end up doing this. So they learn active record, they like it, but then some folks on Twitter kind of convince them that data mapper is the way, but they still want to use active record. So they, they try to find a way to kind of hook it up with repositories where any. Uh, active recordy access or manipulation only takes place within this eloquent specific repository. And uh, yeah, they try to wire up everything to make it work. And trust me, I've tried this too. And it ends up being a complete nightmare. So like if you're using active record, I would just say embrace it fully, embrace all of its greatness. Because once you try to like circumvent and, and hardwire, hotwire everything, it ends up being pretty rough to work with. And um, do you think that active record is simpler for people because it does embrace the leaky abstraction? Like if we're talking about with doctrine, if you're going to probably have some leaky abstraction, even with uh, doctrine or another data mapper, where it is obvious that you're using a database, 
isn't Active Record simpler just for just embracing that leaky abstraction from the get-go and saying, okay, we're just going to acknowledge that these records or these objects are essentially records in the database, and we're not going to try to like hide and pretend that we don't know about this database existing in the back end. And we're sort of closer to the metal, so to speak, in that sense, where we're just acknowledging reality in a way. I think way. so. I, th- I think it comes down to like, what do you think of an abstraction as being, right? Like, how do you define an abstraction? I think a lot of times people stop considering abstractions as just like helpful layers over top of something that simplify how you work with it without necessarily like obscuring the fact that you're, you're working with it. You know what I mean? In the same way that like using PDO is an abstraction over trying to work with the raw SQL stuff. It's not hiding from you that you're making database queries or like guzzle is an abstraction over curl. Um, you know what I mean? It's still clear what you're doing. You're making HTTP requests um, with Active Record. It's still clear that I'm fetching stuff from the database. It's just exposing it to me in a way that simplifies my interaction with it. I'm going to do another one of my weird things where I quote the Bible, but it actually makes sense in my head. You guys tell me whether it's actually a relevant one. There's this thing. So the, the Sabbath uh, basically suggests that Uh, you're supposed to rest for a day. You're not supposed to do anything. You're not supposed to rest. And eventually over time, rules kind of pop up saying, and if you do anything on that day, then you get in really big trouble, right? And they would like, you know, all that kind of stuff. And at some point, Jesus ends up saying, I think it was Jesus. I hope so. I don't know. Um, (laughs) Says the man is not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is made for man. And so basically what he's saying is you've gotten caught up in all these rules that's telling you you're in trouble if you do that and you're in trouble if you don't follow it this way. But the, the whole point of it was to give you a day of rest, right? Like you were supposed to be getting a benefit from it and now you've locked yourself up in these rules and i'm seeing the same thing here like the whole point of this abstraction is to make your programming life better the whole point of this is to make it easier and simpler for you to understand your application to spin up new applications to interact in a database in a way that makes sense and 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 yet the rules right the rules of well thou shalt not whatever you know whatever ends up being thou shalt not save thyself thou shalt not uh you know have a one-to-one map or whatever and make you go into and and i'm i'm going to say this straight out and somebody can disagree with me but I don't care. Uh, data mapper, especially doctrine, is way more complex to use. It's harder to understand. It's harder to onboard more people. You have to write more code to do simple things. And sometimes that may be necessary, but it's not a simpler solution. It's not easier for the end user. And so in general, you're basically allowing some sense of some rules and some sense of what should be and architecturally pure or whatever without any pragmatic and kind of concrete benefits to put you in basically a crappier situation with writing harder to understand code, harder to write code, less powerful and capable code that makes you do, do more work. And, and that's my statement. The other people on this podcast have said kind of more reasoned out things. And you all know that I'm, I'm a little bit less kind of academic and, and I don't have a computer science degree, but that's my ex- practical experience. No, I, I think it's a perfect example, honestly. We, we can get into some of the, the theory of all this, but at the end of the day, the most important thing by far is, does this make it simpler to work with? Is the system simpler to work with because of this? And anyone who, who doesn't know Doctrine, not to insult Doctrine at all, but anyone who has gone through that introductory tutorial on the website will know it's incredibly complex. It's like run, run all these commands and then add these annotations and then trigger this command and then reference the entity manager to save it. And then you compare that to just a simple active record approach where you create a post and you call save and it does exactly what you would expect to do. It's the perfect example of, of making the user the top priority. Whatever you would expect to happen naturally is exactly how it works. There's nothing more complicated than that. Again, it's fun to talk about this stuff, but I, I've almost gotten to a point where it's like, I, I don't care. You know, sometimes my arguments, like I said earlier, are, are like the four-year-old arguments where I just want to say, so? You know, when, when they say a reason why um, this pattern is bad, I'll just say, 
So it doesn't affect the money I make every day. It doesn't affect the the most important goal, whether or not yeah. I'm making money that day. So um, I, I honestly don't worry about it too much. But we still get dragged into these Twitter wars for some reason. I don't know why. I would like to see more active record and data map discussion in actual code. And I know it's ironic to say that like on a podcast about active record, but just in the future, it would be nice to see. Let's just look at a real gist or a real snippet of code and say, how are these two things really different? And how is it going to affect things like maintainability or how easy it is to understand something or testability? And actually talk about something real in reality instead of sort of like Twitter fingering and and arguing all the time about sort of abstract concepts. And it's really hard to do that, actually, with data mapper people, um, shots fired. But it's hard to get them in code, like in an actual code snippet to talk about code differences. Because it's never happened. Have you noticed that? Uh, this has come up so many times. Let's review actual code. It comes up on these Twitter wars. It will never fit in a snippet, Jeffrey. These are serious enterprise applications. And to really understand the benefits, you need to be really deep into this million line <laughs> code base that you have a full understanding of to really understand how it's helping. To distill it down to a snippet would just be insulting. Yeah. And plus, we don't we don't know how our active record stuff will hold up in 15 years either. Like, I mean. Guys, in 15 years, it's all going to break down. No, you know what's funny is Adam is joking, but he's actually not joking at all. This is exactly <laughs> what they would say. And so it's like, how do you have a discussion when the person is saying, oh, you're not capable of viewing a code snippet because it's so vast and so complex, you couldn't fit it in? I was going to say, like, if, if it can't fit into a, a snippet, doesn't it sound like you're breaking all sorts of other rules about coupling and and small <laughs> pieces and... Yeah, isn't that a hint? I think that's a hint. Well, it's interesting because which rules are you focusing on? Because the thing, some of the rules that you're talking about are more like the you know Sandy Metz kind of Ruby style, and some of them ones they may be talking about are more about like the Java style. And I think that we haven't talked about that much, and we don't need to. But there's definitely a clear kind of distinction of what school of thought you're approaching things from there. So me and Adam approach things from the school of Zonda. <laughs> That's a whole separate. You guys point. need to explain what Zonda is once and for all, because nobody. That's on a whole knows separate podcast. It, it can't really be defined. Now. Like if it was. Oh, able, so you're just going to define it? Oh, the word. Coming soon. That's nice. Zonda you know? podcast. <laughs> yeah, you you'll understand in 15 years in a million lines of code. When you've been a, when you've been Zonda as long as we have, then you'll understand. Well, actually, this was pretty Zonda. Um, so I was working on my wedding website on the weekend, right? And I just had a form where people could RSVP to the wedding. And you know what I had to do to like get people to RSVP? I had to type PHP artisan make model RSVP and I was done. Now, you know what I mean? Like there's an empty class, <laughs> people submit the form and stuff ends up in the database. And it was beautiful. <laughs> so, and obviously that's an example of not a real web app, but I mean, it's still magical. No, love the empty class. Actually, the only thing I put in that empty class was protected guarded equals empty array because I don't give a fuck. (laughs) What's really interesting, though, back on the whole looking at code thing is even if you do get like two code snippets, it is so frustrating because that main that whole maintainability, what's going to happen in the future card is like the ultimate trump card on the data mapper side, I feel like. So even if you showed two code snippets and the active record one was clearly easier to understand and simpler, like they always have that card in the back of their pocket where it's like, what about in 10 years? What about in 20 years? Will this application still be maintainable? Even though they don't know if theirs is either. The burden of proof is on you. But it's sort of just the, the assumption is that yours won't be. 
it's such a disrespectful thing to say anyways. Like you're having a, a nice discussion and somebody immediately brings up a decade from now. Like any of us has any clue what our apps will look like in 10 years. It's just the, it's the worst argument possible. Because again, it's something that you can't respond to. You know, it's like, okay, well, you can use that against anything. You know, against any possible discussion, you can just say, well, what about in 10 years? And then suddenly you win the conversation. I mean, come on, it's it's ridiculous. To balance the conversation at all, can you think of like any things that do bother you at all about using Act? record at any point i could say for me the only thing that like um i still haven't figured out how i feel about it is when you need to use like a transaction and i have to like put like db transaction somewhere in my code like wrapping something sometimes that like feels weird to me because normally i try and like put all the db related stuff in the models you know what i mean so so i was building like a twitter clone and like i wanted to be able to like add a follower or something i would have like a follow method that like took another user and saved it inside that method so that like in my controller i'm not very often having to do things like call save or whatever most of the time that's happening inside the actual active record models that are responsible for like you know managing like when someone's meant to be following another user well that means i have to set the foreign key and save it because otherwise some other part of my application you know when i get the list of followers is not going to have that follower if it hasn't been saved you know so i'm always saving right away and putting that logic in the models but when i have some script that needs to run where if something happens like halfway through i want to revert whatever i did before and i want to wrap this stuff into a transaction the database transaction stuff ends up like happening in the controller or the queue job or whatever. Um, I don't know. That's like the only thing I've run into where I felt like, oh, I wish I could somehow like put that in the model somehow instead of like having the DB stuff like uh, exist outside of it. But usually in, in that particular situation, usually like the DB transaction closure thing is so Zonda, like it kind of offsets my fear of doing that. <laughs> The only way to really explain Zonda is through many, many, many examples where you just eventually develop an eye for Zonda. It's too bad. I wish there was a book for that or something. You know, like, I guess when, when people talk about having the ability to uh, map a column directly to a value object, uh, that's one of those things, like, I guess that would be cool. But, you know, at the same time, do you guys feel like people just become so weirdly obsessed with value objects? Like, I have friends who literally, like, every single column in a table gets mapped to its own value object. And it's like, at least for me, every once in a while, there will be a situation where making this a value object makes good sense. Other than that, never. Some people's like default mode of operation is to like give every primitive thing its own class so that you're never working with like primitives ever anywhere. But if those value objects that you create like have no methods on them, I feel like it's a waste. If you have something like a URL and you want to be able to like convert it to like a secure URL or something, it's kind of cool to be able to say URL to secure. Right. That's when it makes sense. But people just default to value object once again, which is, I mean, how many classes do you want to create for yourself? I like thinking about the um, impact of our various developers have had when they join the company. And I think the impact that uh, Adam has made more than anything when he joined Titan was don't do it until you need it. And I think that we, uh, in some ways that were very obvious, in some ways that weren't, um, had just kind of gotten to a lot of premature optimization based on code we'd written in the past or things we'd learned about, well, you might need it or you might this. And and it's like, well, it's actually not that hard to just go do that when it comes up. 
rather than prematurely. So like write the simplest code you possibly can until you need to make it more complicated. I think that's that's kind of my overarching takeaway from this whole conversation and also that data uh, value object thing. Versus defaulting to command bus and handlers yeah. that save events on the model that you then retrieve off of the model and then you dispatch through the event dispatcher. All that stuff where it's like, oh my goodness. Reminds me of um, Constantine's talk from Laracon EU, which I reference just about every week at this point. So it's better to just like write as little code as humanly possible. So there's as little code to change as humanly possible than to try and predict the future, um, hoping that you're going to get it right. And if you get it wrong, now you have thousands of lines of code to change instead of, you know, one line of code to change. Like the classic example to me is like, okay, I have some data that comes in from the request and I need to save that to the database. You know, if you're going from like a purist SRP sort of point of view, maybe you have like, um, like say we're creating a post, right? So you have a request to come into the controller. You're going to create a create post command that's made up of all these attributes that come in through the request. You're going to dispatch that to the command bus. That's going to map that up with a create post handler. The create post handler is going to take like a, post repository as its dependency but it's actually a post repository interface not a post repository you can't be referencing you're concrete create a new here, post it's got to be an interface create a new post in the handler you're going to pass the post into the repository the repository is going to save it but the way it saves it is because you know you have maybe you have an eloquent post repository Im- implementation that takes like an eloquent model as its dependency so that it doesn't actually do the direct static calls and you can call the calls on the instance and you know Nine classes later, the stuff ends up in the database when like literally you did the exact like literally the data flow is identical to saying like post create request all in the controller. But it's a static method. Adam, statics. I think it's important to remember that the people at the top who coined so many of these terms, I've said this many times, but it's important to say they are so much more reasonable. So once again, it's like the people who read the books a year or six months ago are the evangelists on Twitter. This is very true. It's true for myself as well. But then if you ever listen to interviews with the people who coined these terms, like Martin Fowler or any of those guys, they're perfectly reasonable. Martin Fowler would never uh, insult Active Record or say it's bad. He would perfectly say, oh, in this setting, that actually was a really good use for Active Record. And in this case, Data Mapper was fine. They're perfectly reasonable. All right, guys, I got one last thing before we end what I believe is going to be the longest podcast since I became the host of Laravel Podcast. There's a there's maybe two people that will complain, and there's about three dozen people that will say, finally, you're making it longer like I've always been asking. So I'm going to be a complainer because I have to, to edit, edit the this crap. <laughs> All right, last thing. If you had to do 30 minutes of one exercise every day for the rest of your life and you could do no other exercises, which one exercise would you do for 30 minutes every day for the rest of your life? Can this be playing like a, can it be playing a sport or does it have to be like a specific exercise, single movement type thing like bench I press? I guess it could, be a, it, it could be a sport. Oh, well, that's cheating. We can't do that. <laughs> Who wouldn't pick this sport? Like, well, obviously basketball for 30 minutes is more enjoyable. Oh, than you're right because you're with yeah, other let's people. Pick a, let's that pick a specific cheating. exercise then. All right, it's got to be an exercise. I would just stick with simple 30 minutes on the treadmill or or a hike or something like that. I, I would swim. I hate running. I do it, but I hate it. And swimming is like more all body, I think. So and I had more time to think of this because I came up with the question. I'd swim for sure. Um, One exercise. I think I would do like a uh, maybe like a recumbent bike or something. I don't know. I would probably do um, a clean impress, which feels like sort of cheating. What's that? So a clean impress is... is have you ever watched Olympic weightlifting in the Olympics at all? Yeah, sure. As so much as <laughs> as one does. <laughs> there's two movements that they do in Olympic weightlifting. There's the clean and jerk, and then there's the snatch. They used to do the clean and press in the Olympics um, a long time ago, but they removed it to 
kind of shorten it, but a, a clean and press. So a, a clean is when you have a barbell on the ground and you kind of bend over and you whip it up as fast as you can and you catch it on your shoulders. And a lot of time you catch it in a squat because it's heavy and you can't get it up high enough. And if you see some of these like high level guys doing it, it it's insane. Like how, how little the bar comes off the ground and they're still able to like get under it and get it on their shoulders. And then they stand up with it. So that's kind of like a squat there. So it's almost like a deadlift at the beginning into catching it into a squat and then they stand up and then they'll press it over their head. The clean and jerk, they throw it over their head and kind of jump under it to catch it. But in a clean and press, you would press it over your head. So if I could only do one exercise, I feel like that would be like the absolute best bang for my buck as far as trying to incorporate as many things as possible. Adam, would that not destroy your back? Some of those motions, um, does, that doesn't affect back your back, back at all. But I don't know <laughs> if um, it's probably no worse than us sitting at the computer. Yeah, hours a day it's probably it's prob- that's probably worse, honestly. Um, but yeah, I'll put this gif in the show notes. So clean and press is like clean and jerk, but you it requires way more control. Yeah, so like so like a clean and jerk, right? You get it on your shoulders, and then you squat down a little bit and kind of use your legs to push it up. And usually when these guys are doing it, like the the high level people in the Olympics are maybe doing like a 540, 550 pound clean and jerk. So they have 550 pounds on their shoulders. They jump up with it as high as they can, which usually means like they're only moving the bar like six inches off their shoulders. And it's not about getting the bar up. It's about getting yourself under the bar. So they get the bar up six inches and duck under it um, so they can catch it. And Mm -hmm. then they'll stand up with that. And that's kind of the whole thing. Oh my god, the guy's hands. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at this animated gif right now. It looks like his hands are like right there. Oh, These people right. are insane. Man, it's, 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 I don't know. Obviously, I'm super into it, but like you can watch some of these people. I've, there's this guy, Ilya Ilin. He's a, uh, like a world champion Olympic weightlifter from Kazakhstan. And you can watch lifts that he's done that are like five years apart and like overlay them over top of each other. And they're identical. Like, his body is like within millimeters of like the same position throughout like the whole thing. It's like these people are insanely high level athletes. We don't have any of it in the U.S. or in Canada, but in uh, in Europe, it's super. These guys are like as popular as like you know NFL players are in uh, America, but no one cares about it in our country. But it's cool. All right, uh, I will just leave this as a reminder. One last thing is that. At Laircon US, Adam, um, what was it called, Adam, that you did to me? I, I it was just I just pressed you over my head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm I'm a big guy. I'm like over 200 pounds, and you just did it like no big deal. So I hope you guys know I'm editing every minute of this out. <laughs> All of it's gone. You guys really think I'm going to edit 20 minutes of talking about this? Come on. I, re- I actually I thought this was going to survive, but all right. So uh, it'll survive <laughs> on your heart. All right. <laughs> <laughs> thus concludes the longest uh matt starfer hosted uh Laravel podcast of all time so um if you want to give us flame wars about why uh we're completely wrong about everything uh, you need to know how to find us all on twitter but what, what at this point basically anything that comes at us that doesn't have a code sample along with it we're basically just going to dump in our uh our apple recycling bins oh it's called the trash now apple trash so um just uh, just come come at us with code and I, i'm actually super excited uh, hoping that this is going to prompt some really amazing code samples and the first time code kind of enters the conversation does, here. So. Does GitHub just have like a file length limit <laughs> right. or anything? Because it might be hard for people to post doctrine code samples if that's the case. Pow, Ouch. pow, pow, Ouch. pow, shots fired. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, thanks for tuning in to the Laravel Podcast. We'll see you next time. <laughs>